You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. We had zeal, optimism, availability, and a genuine desire to honor Christ with our community. We also had no leader, no structure, no agreeable plan, and no one over the age of 30. Can anyone take a wild guess as to how successful our first simple church experience was? The image of a train wreck comes to mind. <laughs> we didn't even last a year together, but boy, do I have some stories. However, the Lord used that experience to clarify for Brian and I what a healthy church is and what an unhealthy church looks like. And thankfully, we were able to join a much healthier network of simple churches for the rest of our time in Denver. The early church in the book of Acts was learning by experience too. They had never done this before. They grew into being the body and the witness of Christ. So I'm excited. I'm excited to study the book of Acts together. This book was written by the Apostle Luke. He was one of the 12 disciples as a continuation of his own gospel account after walking with Jesus. It's pure adventure. It has suspense. It has trials. It has miracles. It has imprisonments. It has rescues. And it has death. It's a book that travels alongside Jesus' disciples, the early church, and it showcases the Holy Spirit, unveiling this beautiful aroma of the gospel of Jesus. It's inspiring. It's deeply encouraging, while also it will ping the heart on occasion with some conviction along the way. As we take an overview of the book of Acts this morning, I want to talk about some of the theological themes that we're going to see in the book of Acts. And I also want to talk through some of the literary purposes that were behind the Apostle Luke's writing. I also want to uncover some of the key figures we're going to see in the book along the way, and then we're going to end this morning with a personal reflection. So let's start by opening our Bibles, if you have one, or if you don't, there's one, there should be one in your row right, right near your feet. Um, go ahead and grab that, and we'll have, also have some of the verses on the screens. So let's read together chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. In the first book, O Theophilus, remember this is Luke, the Apostle Luke talking. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so let's stop there. We're going to zoom out a little bit and take an overview of the book of Acts. Okay, so some of the theological themes we're going to see. Many theologians agree that one of the main focuses of Acts could actually be summed up in verse 8 of that first chapter. So let's read that again real quick. Verse 8 of the first chapter of Acts. Jesus is speaking. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Can you say witnesses? Witnesses. witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as we go through the book of Acts, I want us to have our looking glasses on. We want to see how is the Holy Spirit empowering the disciples? How is the Holy Spirit showing up? And how are the disciples being witnesses of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Okay, we want to be looking for that. We also want to see, as we're going through the book of Acts, we're also going to see the inner workings of the Trinity. So the doctrine of the Trinity is very well upheld in the book of Acts. We're going to see the inner workings of the Trinity. Evidence that our God, the God that we serve, the God we just worshipped, is a triune God. He is three persons working together with distinct, beautiful roles. And it's incredible. It is incredible to see them in action, to see how they partner one another and uphold one another. We see evidence of the Trinity in verse 4 and 5. So we read that. Jesus speaking to the disciples. And while... With them, he ordered them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the, who? The Father. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Do you see this beautiful community? The Trinity is so evident in the book of Acts. We see this evidence in, in verse 7 and 8. Let's look at that real quick. And so Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that who? The Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when who? The Holy Spirit. So you see this community happening within the triune God. It's beautiful and it's powerful. And they listen to each other and they wait on each other and they are moving very strategically. It's one of my favorite things to, to learn about. Uh, within scripture is, is the evidence of the Trinity, the evidence of the Trinity. 
So be looking for that as we continue through the book of Acts. We're also going to notice as we travel through Acts, the growth of the early church, the growth of the the early church relied on the witness of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Okay, together, that witness empowered by the Holy Spirit enables the gospel of Jesus to just spread like wildfire, like wildfire. So let's look for this. When we see an anointed disciple speaking out what they have witnessed about Jesus, that he died and rose again, defeating death, proven that he is that his deity and that he is the savior of the world. I want you to notice what then happens. What then happens with that empowerment of the Holy Spirit? What happens to the people around them? Okay, it's going to be fun. It's going to be astounding to see. As incredible as this was to be a part of, I'm sure, for the early church, the early church also did not have it easy. Sometimes growth for the sake of the gospel, came at a high cost. And so we will also see the disciples of Jesus can expect trials. They can expect pain. They can expect opposition. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it in the book of Acts. It's important. It's important, friends, that as we read that, that we not downplay how difficult it was for them, that we not quickly bypass how hard it was to be a witness of the king of the Jews, right? How hard it was to be a witness of the Messiah, that he is the savior, not just of the Jews, but the world. How hard it was to be a witness at this time in history under the Roman Empire, who were not big fans of Christians, (laughs) Right? This was also very difficult. It's also important for us to integrate this concept, this theological theme into our own theology. How painful circumstances can still occur in the life of a Jesus follower. Right? That our devotion can be, can be honest before the Lord and wanting to serve him with our life and we can still experience hardship. That that can be a part of our theology. And even one, even one who is sacrificing their whole life for the sake of the gospel, their whole life was dedicated to moving the gospel forward and they still experienced hardship. And in fact, Jesus told us He told us in John 16 that in this world, we will have trouble. We will. We will. And it's how we engage those times that makes a difference. So as we're reading along, I want you to notice the hardships and the trials that these disciples are going through, but also, more importantly, how did they respond How did they respond to the opposition? How did they respond to the hardships? Okay. So those are some of the theological themes we're going to see. Disciples of Jesus. They'll be a witness 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the inner workings of the Trinity. We're going to see the growth of the church and how it relies on the witness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that the disciples' journey will involve pain. Okay, so those are some of the big themes there. Let's, let's stay zoomed out and look at some of the literary purposes behind Luke's writing. So let's start with a couple quotes from the ESV Literary Study Bible. The Old Testament history of salvation pointed forward to the atoning life and death of Jesus. The early church in Acts looks back to the atonement of Christ, right? That's their spoken witness. They witnessed the atonement. And so they're looking back and speaking that out. And that's the book of Acts. Let's read this next one. The book of Acts is the first chapter of God's kingdom on earth following the incarnate life of Christ. Okay, so those are two points to consider. Let's consider another one. One, one purpose to Luke's writing is to show, is to show how expansive the witness of the early church was, which fulfilled the command, the mission that Jesus gave them. Do you remember where Jesus told them their witness would extend to? So it would extend to, right, Jerusalem, to all of Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? To the ends of the earth. They didn't know how that would play out. But those were the words spoken by Jesus. This is your mission. I command you to do this, empowered by the Spirit, right? So let's look at how this played out. So this is the map of the region. You guys know how I like my maps. So this is the map of the region, right? So down here is where they are. They're in Jerusalem, which is that dot in the, in the right side there, okay? So Jesus is speaking to them. This is going to be your mission. You're going to spread the gospel, right? And you are going to go all throughout Judea, Judea and to Samaria. So this section right here is blown up up here. So there's Jerusalem. This area is Judea. And this upper area, Samaria, right? So they're going to be ministering all throughout here. But then what does Jesus end with? And to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. So when you break down the book of Acts, you're going to see the first chapters. 1 through 7 is going to take place in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12 is going to take place in Judea and Samaria. And Acts 13 through 28 is going to take place in all the ends of the earth. Right? Do you see how it gets played out through the book of Acts? Isn't that incredible? I mean, I think that's incredible. I think it's awesome to see how Jesus' words get played out. It's almost as if Jesus knew ahead of time how it was going to play out. Almost. Almost. Maybe. Right? It's just incredible. How intentional the triune God is, how he prepares. Another literary purpose was to reveal, and this is pretty important, that the gospel of Jesus was not just for the Jewish people. 
And this was a hard swallow for the Jewish people. This was a hard swallow. The Trinity is interested in building a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational global church. That is who our God is. That is what he's interested in. And we see this from, from the very beginning, from the birth of the early church. We see that this is the heart of God. We're going to see that the disciples empowered their witness is inclusive of all kinds of people, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, the physically handicapped, the pagan mountain people, a prominent merchant woman, a jailer and his family, Greek philosophers, governors, kings. We're going to see all of this in the book of Acts, the gospel reaching this demographic, reaching these people. Isn't that awesome? It's widespread. The gospel, the heart of God is for everyone, and it expands to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. All right, so let's zoom in a little bit and look at some of the key people, key figures we're going to see in the book. We already mentioned one earlier, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper with it. So the Trinity. We see the Trinity in chapter 1, several places, and we talked about that. The first being represented in the 40 days, the 40 days that Jesus was on the earth after his resurrection, right? He was appearing to the disciples. But the purpose of it was to intentionally strengthen the witness. Why? Because the witness was of what? Not how, not how, good of a way that they followed Jesus, the witness was Jesus died and he rose again. He's the Messiah, the Savior. He is the promised one. That's the witness. We're witnessing that we saw that. We walked with it. We saw his deity. We saw his miracles. We saw him rise from the dead. Who does that? Only one that is God, right? So that's their witness. So in verse 3, and I'm just going to read this one real quickly. So in verse 3 of the book of Acts, we see Jesus, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So... Does anyone find that fascinating, that Jesus came down after his death, and after his resurrection, he came, and he didn't just stay one day. He didn't, he didn't just come and just do, bloop, like, I'm just going to show myself to the 12, and then leave. Like, that's not what he did. He came down for 40 days. And he didn't just reveal himself to the 12. He didn't just reveal himself to the faithful women who served him. He didn't just reveal himself to his mother. He revealed himself to hundreds, to hundreds of people. Keep your, keep your finger in Acts and look real quick with me. Go forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 
And I'm going to read this because it's really amazing. Verse 3, going to verse 8. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve. After that, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of brothers and sisters at the, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And at last he appeared to me. And this is, this is um, the Apostle Paul talking. Okay? So Jesus is resurrected, but he's still on a mission. He's still on a mission. He's revealing himself, and he is bolstering up his witnesses. Why? To spread the gospel. To spread the gospel. He needs as many people on his team to spread the gospel, right? So he is, he is bolstering up his witnesses. We also see the Trinity, right, in verse 4 and 5. And while, so Jesus speaking, the promise of the Father, and baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? We already saw that. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus is saying, I need you to wait. I need you to wait on the Father's timing. Can you wait? I need you to wait. I need you to wait on the Father. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. He's going to provide for you. He's going to provide for you the Holy Spirit. It's coming, but I need you to wait. Right? Does anyone have a hard time waiting? <laughs> I have a hard time waiting. It's difficult to wait. And not just waiting, but like waiting with anticipation. Right? They're waiting. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you are going to be my witnesses. And they're like, well, let's go. And he's like, you need to wait. Right? During bedtime in our house, we try and read each night to the boys, and Brian and I rotate. Um, who reads to who? And I'm currently reading um, the Magic Tree House series. Have any, have any of you read that series? The Magic Tree House is a children's book series. It's really good. It's really a, it's like a really good entry point to adventure books. All right. So I'm reading it to my youngest boy, who is six. And this is his first major chapter book with not a lot of pictures. But he's loving it. He's loving it. But he also hates it when I have to stop in the middle and begs for more. And he'll say, Mama, please keep reading. We can't stop here. It's a, it's a hang cliffer. <laughs> I love that so much. We call that a Josiah classic, a Psy classic. He just has a way with words. And so we call it a hang cliffer now. The Trinity is dropping a major hang cliffer on these disciples. But it's for a purpose. So they're waiting, they're waiting, but they know who they're waiting on, someone that they can trust, someone that's good, someone that's going to provide for them, okay? It's also profound to see the triune God, how he prepares for the spreading of the gospel. It's what the first two chapters of Acts is all about, the preparation for the spreading of the gospel, okay? The preparation. So it was important for the Trinity to restore the apostolic team. It was important for the Trinity to restore the apostolic team. And what I mean by that is the second half of chapter 1 is often quickly overlooked. Okay? 
we like to talk about um, the witness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit's coming. But the second half of, the, of chapter one is interesting. It's talking about the 11 disciples coming together and we're like, we need, we need another person because Judas fell off the train. Like he totally rejected us and betrayed us. We're down to 11. We need another person. So in, in verse 21, it says, so of the men who have accompanied us during the time of the Lord, Jesus went in and out among us. We need someone to be the witness Right? We need someone who walked with us, with Jesus, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us, become with us a witness to the, his resurrection. And with that, they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 disciples. The 11 became 12 before they were sent out. Is that not good? Is that not so good of the Father that he sent them out with fullness, that he sent them out with strength? I love that. I love that. One book that I have thoroughly been enjoying is called Delighting in the Trinity. If you want a good uh, summer read, um, a spiritual summer read, this book has been... um, Really good, really interesting, and really funny. So Michael Reeves, he is a Bible historian. And I love how he connected the intentionality of the Trinity, resulting in the spreading of the gospel. So again, we're talking about how intentional the Trinity has been in preparing for the spreading of the gospel, right? One of the ways that the Trinity has been preparing for the spreading of the gospel is by allowing the disciples and allowing the game plan to work within the current Roman culture, the current Roman culture, picking certain disciples along the way who would know the main language, the main language of the time, especially in the regions of the Gentiles, was the language of Greek. There was a little Latin, but the main language was Greek. Greek was spoken. Okay, so you're going to see the type of disciples that Jesus picked had elements to where they were in tune with the Greek language, not just the Jewish Aramaic language. Another aspect is that he used the strength of the, the, strength of the Roman Empire uh, to make transportation easier. So this is how they were going to go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. They were going to utilize the Roman transport system is how they were going to do it. They also, um, another way that the Lord provided, which is really, really interesting to, to look and to see, was how the Lord dis- began to disperse um, the Jewish community outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, and into the Gentile lands. And why that was important was because as the the core disciples were traveling and ministering and writing letters upon letters to the church, they got to stay uh, with with, uh, old synagogues throughout the land, right? They had a place of respite. People who knew the Old Testament, people who knew the elements of the Messiah, 
right? They had places to stay along the way within the Jewish community, which I think is an incredible provision of the Lord. All right, so that's the Trinity. We're going to see the, that throughout Acts. The next figure I want to look at is the person of Peter. Peter. In the first chapter of Acts, Peter is the first disciple mentioned after Jesus' 40 days. Right? So after Jesus had been with them and he's risen back up, Peter is the first person written. This symbolizes importance of leadership, and I think this also symbolizes the importance of restoration. One pastor summarizes it very well by saying, on the first Pentecost Sunday, which is going to be chapter 2 in Acts, on the first Pentecost Sunday, it is the apostle Peter who preaches, the same Peter that denied Jesus a few weeks earlier. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior and unwavering faith. The Holy Spirit is a gift to those who turn to Jesus and wait on him. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That we can, we can have struggles, we can have a hard time, and the Holy Spirit is not limited. He is still available to us to walk with us, to speak with us as we go along our Christian journey, right? The Holy Spirit, Peter's relationship with Jesus was restored. And he became one of the key figures to help expand the early church, the gospel. It's also fascinating to know where Peter grew up and how that connects to this greater mission. So Peter grew up in a fishing town called Bethsaida, and both Jewish people live there and Gentile people live there. So Peter would have likely been growing up learning and knowing Jewish Aramaic language, but also Greek language. And Jesus picked him to become the key leader, the rock of the early church, specific to deliver the gospel message to the Gentiles. We're heading into Samaria where the Jewish people were known to be like, we do not associate with this whole people group. Who was the first to lead that mission? Peter. I'll go. I'll go. And he was equipped to know the language, to be able to speak and be the witness. There's always a higher plan at work with the Trinity. The last figure I want to point out is Paul. So one detail as, as we begin reading through Acts, you might notice, is that as we're reading Acts, Saul is sometimes referred to as Paul and then sometimes referred back to Saul. So you have this Saul versus Paul dynamic. It can be kind of confusing. What's happening here? So I read an article from a New Testament professor, Dr. Greg Lanier, and he really helped clarify these, these two names for me. In Acts chapter 9, Saul has a radical conversion to Christianity, and I do mean radical because he was for sure on the bad side of, of doing horrendously persecuting uh, Christians. And, and Jesus appears to him, and, has a, and he has a radical conversion. It's going to be awesome to read that. 
So that's chapter 9. And, and, but after chapter 9, he is still called Saul. But then again begins to use another name, Paul. So I thought, I thought that God had changed Saul's name to Paul when he was converted because uh, he was a new creation in Christ, right? And that's not unlike God. We see that in the Old Testament where he would change the names, right? But, but there's possibly, but there's also something else happening here. And what is happening is that in this culture, he had two names. Paul is actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name for Saul. Now, we're learning that the spoken word of Greek is a a pretty big deal to the spreading of the gospel, right? Because most of the outer regions, that's all they spoke, right? So wouldn't it make sense that Luke, the writer of Acts, would later refer to Saul primarily as Paul because now he was being empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with as many Gentiles as he could who spoke Greek, So I'm convinced, I'm convinced that our God, our triune God, loves to be seen in the details. It is also interesting to note that the book of Acts opens with the risen Christ in Jerusalem, but it ends with Paul's imprisonment in Rome. The book of Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome, right? There's a lot that's going to happen. Paul's travel schedule is intense. This guy does not like to stay put. He, would, he has what I call a high, uh, his engine revs, revs high, okay? He's that kind of guy. Uh, he was motivated to preach the gospel to as many people and as far as he could. Along the way to Rome, he is shipwrecked actually for three months, but he does actually reach Rome, even though by the time he reaches Rome, he's on house arrest, so he has to stay uh, pretty enclosed, But the importance, because Jesus told his followers to witness to the ends of the earth, and and Paul was one of those guys who took the words of Jesus quite literally, that I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. He was wanting to finish the task. And so I think that Rome must have felt like the ends of the earth (laughs) to Paul. The ends of the earth, the epicenter of the Roman Empire. So let's just quickly look at his route. Look at this. All right, so he begins down here in Judea. And look at this water route. And where is Rome? Look at this. Think about the time and the age in which Paul lived in. He didn't have a GPS, right? This is an intense intense trip this was when he was shipwrecked for three months at some point here but this is a long journey on the water he was determined to be a witness for jesus not only determined so he gets there right and he's on house arrest because the romans don't trust this guy for good reason right so he's on house arrest of course but he's not wasting any time He begins to write books. So he's writing the book of Ephesians in Rome. He's writing the book of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. I mean, this guy is, he's empowered. It's not by the strength of Paul. There's no way. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so these are some of the big highlights of the book of Acts. 
and the first chapter. And I'm excited. I'm excited to, to read along and to see what we find along with the book of Acts. And as we close, I just want to take a few moments just to take some time to reflect. Just to take some time to reflect. I love Pastor Ron's quote from last week about the book of Acts. And he said, the book of Acts is not a closed book. The book of Acts is not a closed book. We don't have to wait to be the church because we already are the church. The Holy Spirit is fully alive, available to us right now, empowering us, you and I, to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to reach out to our world, right? So what is stirring? What has God been stirring up in you lately? What has God been stirring up to you lately? What has he been speaking to you about? What is your witness? What can you right now today confirm about God, about who he is, about who he has been to you? If God is having you wait, maybe there's something that you know you're supposed to do, but he's having you wait. What is he teaching you as you wait? Is that something that you can speak out? He's waiting. He's having you wait. Okay, so you're waiting, but what is he, what is he teaching you as you wait? Is he teaching you patience? Is he teaching you to be still? Is he teaching you uh, that you can trust him? as you wait, right? Speak that out. That is your witness. God is teaching me about the character and the nature of who God is right now as I wait, right? Or you may already have a burning, like there's something on your heart that the Lord has put there, and you know it, but it's scary. It's hard. It takes risk. It takes faith, right? He may have a person on your heart that you know you need to forgive, he may put on your heart that you're needing support for that struggle that you're walking through. You need more support than what you got, and he wants you to reach out. He may calling you to encourage somebody. There's someone on your heart, and you know that they need encouragement, and they need you to come give them a hug. They need you to come bring them a meal. They need you to just come and sit with them. Right? What I'm asking of all of us, myself included, um, is to take action, to take action to be that witness of the Holy Spirit, of the triune God, that he is, we are the church, friends. We are the church, and we need to take action and move into that. Now, action's hard for me because I want to know the full plan. I want to know all the details. But instead, the Holy Spirit's going to impress something on you and let's take action. Move into that uncomfortable feeling. Why? Because we can trust him. We can trust him that the gospel still needs to be moved forward. Right? That you and I can still be a witness right now. Right now. Or perhaps discouragement has set in. Maybe fear. 
and you're thinking, a witness? Matt, I, I don't even have anything left. I'm going through a real hard time. It's hard for me to even come to church. It's hard for me to even take that shower, right? Then your action, your action, friend, would be to step forward and ask the Lord to comfort you. Father, come be with me. Comfort me in my time of need. And James, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It takes humility to come forward. It takes humility to come forward, but come forward before the Lord. I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. Um, this is why. This is why we have prayer teams. This is why. It's hard. I get it. It's hard to stand up and move forward towards someone in prayer to speak out the need, to speak out the thing that you're needing ministered to. But friends, this is where we take action and we say, God, I trust you to break through this discouragement. God, I want to, to feel your presence. I want to feel you, Holy Spirit, comfort me. God, heal me of this wound. God, heal me of this struggle. I encourage you to, to really utilize the body of Christ. This is why we have prayer teams. This is why we have each other, right? So taking personal action, because we are still a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, what a joy. What a joy it is to just take a, just take a picture of how intentional and good you are and how purposeful you work, and, and we just... We're excited to see how you have preserved and expanded the early church and what a gift that has been to the world, that we literally would not be here without the expansion of the early church. And we are grateful to know you, Jesus. We are grateful to stand and be a witness of your death and resurrection. We are grateful to stand of how good you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how you're moving in us. God, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Continue to do so. May it be so, God. May it be so that you would empower us to move, to take action of the things that you are laying on our hearts. God, give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.